Amen. Good evening, everybody. How are you? Good. And if you join us online, good evening to you, or good morning, or good afternoon, or whatever it is. And we want to um, uh, just give thanks to God. Uh, what a great week uh, we've had. I heard that at Garden Lake, uh, 24 people made the first time decisions for Christ. So that's good, isn't it? So. Uh, somebody said to me, I hope you had a good break last weekend. We, you had Pastor Glenn preaching. He, they said he was a good replacement. That's what we want. We want a good replacement. Uh, but I wasn't actually on holiday. I, I, I lived the high life, jet setting, international speaker. I was, I was zooming off, preaching and proclaiming the word of God in the most dynamic and amazing places. I was in Maple Ridge. And... Um, and so I drove down, and every year at the uh, Farmers' Festival, there is a service with all of the members of the, um, of the churches there in Maple Ridge get together and, and, and gather, and there's a stage area, and then there's all these um, bleachers, and they're covered over, and then there's some worship, and then they always uh, they invite somebody who can preach the gospel to come down and to preach and invite people to give their lives to Christ. So that was great. Uh, right up my street. And uh, 10 people gave their lives to Jesus. So um, it, was, uh, it was really wonderful. And, uh, and it was great, great to see God at work and doing amazing things. So, uh, you know, I get to go to Maple Ridge, which is, is a blessing. Um, and um, so that's what I was up to. Um, three John. Three John's really important. In fact, it's the smallest book in the whole of the Bible. And in our only one series, it is the smallest book. And yet it, um, it has uh, an amazing message to it. Now, some theologians have looked at uh, 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 Three John. And if you want to open it, you can read it uh, in, in something in about one minute. And, and it talks about the, this, this kind of... Battle that is taking place, and we've talked about this battle from 2 John and the different things that are taking place, but this is different. Now, let me explain this. Some theologians wondered about 3 John. Well, first of all, it's the smallest book in the Bible, and secondly, it doesn't mention Jesus. And so people have wondered about this. Now, let me just say to you on this, even though it doesn't mention Jesus by name, it is clearly in the same penmanship of 1 John with the glorious message that comes through there. And in verse 7, it actually says, and one that I believe in the name. So obviously in verse 7, it is highlighted that, that the name, now what is the name? Well, it's the name that comes with God and it's the name that is present. And the name there, you can see that there in the scripture. The name is, of course, I would say it's Jesus. And at the end of the letter, it finishes with the greeting of peace and talks about the peace of God and talks about the peace. And so as you read it, it is 
full and it is laced with uh, a glorious Christian sense of, of the early church struggling to find itself and understanding this. And what this is about, it's about peace. Yes, it's about bringing peace into a situation. It's about bringing peace into what was a difficult situation. Now, let me tell you something. You may know this, and if you're not a Christian, you may not understand this, but church life can be lumpy and bumpy. Um, Churches can implode. Churches can have difficulties because everybody's got opinions. Uh, Church life can be a challenge. And and this letter helps us understand something uh, very profound and, and, and very good. It, you know, and one thing that John, as he writes this, understand this, that John's not looking for an easy peace. Now, what do I mean by an easy peace? I mean that sometimes in life, when there are problems and troubles, we look for an easy peace by ignoring those problems and those troubles and walking away from them. We ignore them. But this John, uh, this three John is about a deeper peace that he is willing to dig deep and to try and work out a peace with a I guess a renegade church leader who is, is making many statements and rather than giving up on this church leader, what he is willing to do is go deeper, armed with the two things that John is always armed with, with the truth in one hand and the love of God in the other. And let me say that when you want to solve a problem with somebody in your life, yes, you have to do it in truth, but you have to do it in love. And whenever John did this, he did it with truth and love. He approached this, and this this letter is an example of this. It's an example of conflict resolution. It's an example that there is a problem in the church, and there are a number of characters that appear in this letter. So John is writing to Gaius, or Gaius, he's writing to him and he is explaining to his dear brother an understanding about the problem of the group of churches in this area are going through. Because what they understand is that, that a church leader in that region has decided to shut the doors, now we'll get to that in a moment, on the church They decided to isolate themselves. They decided to become independent. They decided to turn people away. But let me just talk about Gaius for a moment. Uh, He is a a lay leader who obviously John trusts. And he trusts him and he wants to work with him. And he commends him for saying things like, you're amazing. You welcome the traveling preachers, the representatives of me. You cared for them. You fed them. You showed them hospitality hospitality, you stood for the truth, you were absolutely incredible and thank you for your hospitality and I praise God that the truth, Gaius, is with you. Now I also know that across the road in a town nearby or a little village or a little hamlet is another leader, Diotheses, and he is shutting the door and driving the speakers away. He won't even let them in. He's isolated himself. He has said no. In fact, he has said to his congregation, if you let these people in and show them hospitality, I will put you out of the church, my 
myself. So what we've got is an apostle struggling with a number of small churches in one church and one location is Gaius and he is blessing and encouraging and feeding and even giving money and being a wonderful Christian example. And there we have another leader who is slamming the door, who is isolating himself, who is not allowing others to come in and he's ruling the roost and being completely isolated. Have you ever met churches like that? I'm sure you have. Because churches get themselves into trouble. So bear with me for a moment in this. So what is really going on? Now, a number of theories, two theories in fact, uh, which I, neither them do I agree with on most of the commentators. But number one, theory number one, is that this rebellious church, this lay leader, this individual has, is, is, is standing up and he's rejecting the role of the Jewish apostle and he's having a battle, which is a glorious battle, to be a kind of free group and they don't want the interference. I mean, they're Greeks after all. We don't want this interference of this apostle in this situation. We want to keep them out. And some theologians have suggested that this is a kind of heroic battle of a small church against a big corporate big church Christianity. Don't buy it. The second one is that perhaps he slipped into heresy. And Diathesis has started to join the Gnostics or the cessational who are separating themselves from. And perhaps this is what is going on at this moment. And, and so really John is trying to battle with them because now they're getting into Gnosticism. And they're denying the, the authenticity of who Christ is. And they're trying to do all of that. But you know that doesn't, uh, I don't buy that either. Because whenever there's heresy or Gnostic activity or wrong doctrine, you know what John is like. John uses words like antichrist. He uses words like um, you are deceived. He pulls out his, his, his big theological submachine gun. He takes his grenade and he starts lobbing them at all of these heretics and just wants to deconstruct them and he wants to take them and he wants to deal with them because he sees them as, as antichrist. And you can almost hear the music of the omen in the background. And, and, you know, he comes out, and we know this from Second John. But it, John doesn't do any of this in the letter. In fact, what he knows he's dealing with is a brother who has a bad attitude, a brother who has been driven by his own ego, a brother who is isolating himself, and John realizes that he wants to reach in, and he's not going to give up on this man, and he's not going to write him off. The truth is this, that what we learn from 3 John is do not write anybody else off. Hold on to them. You know, bad attitudes create loads of problems. But the one thing I understand about bad attitudes is this, that a bad attitude stops the love of God flowing through our lives. 
That when we have a bad attitude, we become isolated and alone. And we start to shut the doors and close ourselves in. And we become demanding of others. And we say to people around us, you can't do this or you can't do that. And don't get involved here. And he's showing all the signs of, of somebody that is trying to control his environment. And I can feel John's heart in this letter. And he's saying, you know, John's not calling him an antichrist. Now he's making it pretty clear what's going on here because if we look at verse 9, we see that he is gossiping and we see that I wrote to the church who loves to be first. And this individual, Diathathes, he loves to be number one and that's where we fail in church life. We become polluted by a bad attitude when we want to be number one all the time. It's about our opinion. It's about our way. There's no humility. There's no way forward. Who loves to be first and will have nothing to do with us. Verse 10 makes it pretty clear. So if I came, I will call attention to what what he is doing. What, What is he doing? Because when you've got a bad attitude, do you know what happens next? You get a bad mouth. And you start talking about everybody. And you start gossiping. And it becomes malicious. It becomes divisive. It becomes aggressive. And it becomes not satisfied with that. He refuses to welcome the brothers and to be hospitable and caring. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. This church is toxic because bad attitude stops the love of God. Bad attitude stops God's blessing. Bad attitude hinders the plan that God wants to do in our lives. A bad attitude robs us. Now, let me just say something to you about our attitudes. Because don't let somebody else's bad attitude rob you of your right attitude in life. In other words, don't let the other's actions around you Rob you of that. So you can see that there's a bit of a crisis going on in 3 John. You can see that there's a conflict. But you can see that the Apostle John does not want to write his beloved friend off. You can see that he's willing to face him in truth, deal with the malicious gossip, talk through the problems, but he's not willing to write that person off. One of the weaknesses in the Western church is this, and in the church, is that brothers in Christ and sisters in Christ, we are too busy writing lots of people off. And we're not active about reaching and caring for others. So let's think about this. What's this really about then? Well, this is a church crisis. You have the bishop or the apostle who is coming. 
He is going to spend time and he's going to engage in this. And they're going to start to talk to diapathies about his attitude, about the way that he is acting, about his ego, I guess about his anger, about his isolation thinking, about the way that he is. And we've all got examples of bad, arrogant, ego-driven leaders. We've all been through rough times in church. And if you're not a Christian, you've, you face this message is for you as well. Because what the apostle shows us is this. That he does three things that he's willing to do to reach into Diathese's life and to make a difference. And it's quite staggering. Number one, he is willing to stay connected to Diotrephes and keeps trying to be connected to him. Now, when you've got confrontation and when you've got problems and when you've got discord, what we often do in our own life is we run and we're off and we're not. You know, we cut the person off. We de-Facebook them. They are no longer our friends. And I don't know if you've ever been de-Facebooked, but it is, you know, it, it is... It is, um, I'm sure it's devastating. <laughs> I never look. Uh, but... I just put things on about Willow Park Church. But there's that sense here that he is willing to stay connected to diathesis. Why? Because he knows that it counts in the body of Christ to keep the fellowship and to keep the love. He knows that it's important to hold on to Diathesis in his own battle because he knows that Diathesis' character is wrong. He knows that he's got charisma. He knows that he's an amazing gatherer and he's gathering people, but his attitude stinks. But the glory of John is that John is writing, I'm coming, I'm sending others, and I want to connect with him, and I'm not going to let go of him because he needs needs us and in a way we still need him and his actions are hurting the church in other words in the conflict I'm not going to walk away and ignore I'm not going for cheap peace I'm going for deep peace because when you go for deep peace you can really reach into the situation and make a difference but none of us like conflict let's be honest you know, when you go for a job, they say, how do you cope with conflict? And of course, we all lie and go, yeah, well, good. But you know, really, none of us like to be disliked. None of us like conflict. None of us like the pain of conflict. And often what we do is cut the person off and we write them off. And yet John teaches us, don't write anybody off. Still believe that God can do something. So number one is maintain contact. The church hurts when we cut each other off. The second thing he does, which is really brave, he brings in other counsel. You know, when you're having a breakdown of relationship and you're going through a difficult time, it's good to rely on others around you who are on the ground, who can give you the wisdom, who can help you out. 
Because you know if you're left with your own brain to deal with that situation, you make up stories. If you're left with your own thoughts, you start to elaborate. It starts to get out of control. And who does John have on the ground? He has Gaius. He has him right there. A trusted counsel. He also is sending Demetrius who he will talk. And others have come back to John and given reports. And what you see is a leader who is willing to listen to other people around. And he is willing, really, to take counsel of others so, so he understands what's going on. When you've got a broken relationship or you're facing a conflict... It's really important that, number one, that you stay connected to the people even though it hurts and it's difficult. And try and hold on to that relationship. Relationships in Christ, friendships in the body, friendships that have gone bumpy and hard. The very heart of John was, I want to stay connected. And the second thing he wants to do is, I want to have counsel of others because my mind gets out of whack. My mind gets out of control. And I need good, solid people that can see both sides and they can help me sort this out. And that's why he's sending Demetrius. That's why he's writing to Gaius. That's why he's doing this. Because when we try and solve conflict just on our own, what happens is that we can, the worst part of us can come out without reasonable counsel at that time. And the third thing, communication. Now this is not sending texts to communicate. He's not writing emails because you know the trouble a badly worded text can create in a friendship, right? You know how wrong that can go. You know how it can happen when, when an email comes through because it hasn't got emotions and different things. Now, of course, now Apple and different ones have given us little emotions like thumbs up and praying hands and... And hallelujah and smiley faces, suns with sunglasses and so on. And I've tried to use these, you know, and, 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 and there's one that's crying with one tear and then another one that's laughing with two tears. I saw on Facebook recently, somebody said about, that, uh, had some terrible news about, about uh, an illness and going through a tough time. And obviously the person hadn't worked out what all these symbols meant. And so they put the little symbol with the two tears of the person laughing. Uh, thinking that it was the person crying, you know. Honestly, if you're over 50, be very careful. Um, with these things. You've got to be careful with these things. You see, what he's willing to do... He's willing to get face to face and communicate with him. And in verse 9 and 10, he says, I am coming and I'm going to sit down with you and we are going to work this through. 
Now, how is John going to work it through? Well, you know the theology of John. The theology of one John comes down to three things. He's going to look him into the, in the face with his twins either side, which is truth and love. And he's going to look him in the face. And as he looks him in the face, he's going to say to him these things. He's going to remind him that we need to shun the world. And that's John's message in one John. You know what? Attitudes and actions and bad attitudes and characters, you've got to shun the way of the world by being this way and you've got to go the way of God's kingdom. He'll look him straight in the face and he'll say to him, listen. And John's great message is we've got to love each other in church. So you've got to get a grip here. You've got to stop slamming the door. And we've got to love each other despite and not write each other off. Because John has been written off. But he's not willing to be written off by this lay church leader with his little group of people. He wants to get in there face to face. And he wants to sort it out. And he wants to help him. And... And number three is he'll remind him that you are the elect, that you are God's chosen, that you are children of the living God, and he expects better conduct of those who are in the kingdom of God. We are people of grace. We are people of love. We are people of honor. When we speak, we bless. We want to be different because we're a different kind of people. We're a people full of love. And the worst thing that can happen is for it to deteriorate and we take on the attitude of the world we forget to love each other and we forget that we are the chosen ones and we are the children of the kingdom and we are sons and daughters of the king of kings and the lord of lords and when you forget those three things church becomes toxic relationships break down we lose contact we no longer have counsel of others and we're not willing to communicate faith to face and then it all goes very badly works in every part of our life doesn't it marriage when we rely on texting backwards and forwards you know I found it not very good to have an argument with my wife via text and sometimes I just phone because I'm obviously failing to communicate I'm just losing it. I'm going, oh, no. And it doesn't matter how many smiley faces I send. And you can have hearts, red hearts and pink hearts. And I can send um, stars exploding and thumbs up. I can tell it's not working. I need to get face to face. I need to get connected. I need to communicate. And I need to feel the uncomfortableness of confrontation of love. Let me bring it back to Jesus for a moment. What did Jesus teach? He said, if you see something wrong with your brother, uh, a speck of dust in their eye, he said, first go and deal with your plank. First go and deal with your plank. You can read this in, in what Matthew chapter 7. Go and deal with it. Because what conflict creates 
And what difficult relationships create is, has to be a willingness for, first of all, for us to deal with our planks in our own eyes. In other words, we take sin seriously and I take our attitude seriously and I'm going to go and deal with my plank. Only when I've dealt with my plank through repentance and honesty and openness can I then come and say to somebody humbly in Christ and in love and say, you know, you've got a speck in your eye. But I can only really minister to you with your speck because I've got rid of my plank. And the truth is we've all got planks in our eye. And what we must never do is that we... We size people up, and what we do is that we write people off. We judge them with our plank. We maybe look at them, we hear that they're divorced, we write them off. Maybe we hear that they, we look at them, they've got a tattoo, we write them off. It may be that we do that. You're looking at your tattoos now. Um, And we write them off. It may be that you look at somebody and you write them off. And what Jesus taught us is, you know, know, if you judge others, you will be judged the same. You'll be judged the same. Now, I don't want you to judge me unless you really know me. And you know the whole of my story. Because I don't want to judge you unless I really know you. But the danger is that it's so easy to size people up and then to write them off completely. And John could have written him off. He could have wrote the letter. This is a little church, a little gathering in somebody's home. It's not, you know, the global church. He could have just said no. But John knew that relationship is so important. It is above gifting. It's above charisma. It's above power. It's about our attitude. Character is king in the church. And the only way a small group of churches are going to survive is by making sure that they get the character right. And the only way that I can ensure that is by always being in a position of repentance. So who have you written off? Who have you sized up and then written off? Or we look at people and we size them up and we decide, I can't do anything about them and therefore I will walk away. It's a little bit like cheap peace. We choose cheap peace for an easy life. But you see, Jesus never said walk away. He said actually deal with your own plank and then go and address. So we all have to be willing to deal with our own plank. And out of that, he says first deal with your own plank. If there's a first, there's a second. And second, then we are called to help get the sawdust out of each other's eyes. But we do it out of love, we do it out of relationship, we do it out of connection, out of good counsel, and we do it out of communication, and we do it is I'm not going to give up on this relationship in Christ, I'm going to hold on to you. And then there's the third group of people, I don't know who you are in this. Are you somebody that's judgmental, that you size somebody up and then you... 
dismiss them and cut them off? Are you somebody that size somebody up and you walk away? You say, I'll, I'll pray about it. Or are you somebody sat here that somebody has actually come to you and you just haven't listened? You know they're right and you know they've said to you, hey, this isn't right. But you just haven't listened. And you've stumbled your way into church on this big holiday weekend and you're listening to me and I'm talking about relationships and I'm talking about this and you realize, boy, I know that some people that love me have tried to come by the side of me and said, you're not living right and you've turned away from them. See, we all have choices in relationships. And we've got to be willing to say, you know what? I'm not going for the easy peace. I'm going for the deep peace that means cost. And I'm not going to walk away. I'm going to stay connected to you. I'm going to take counsel. I'm going to surround myself with Gaius and with Demetrius. And you know what? You know what? I'm going to get face to face with you and communicate. Because we are, what we have in Christ is too special. Even if you are a small church leader who seems to be egotistical, who seems to be isolated, who seems to be slamming doors, who seems to be a complete pain in the kingdom of God. And all of this, the apostle says, I'm going to hold on to you and we're going to solve this. Wouldn't that be amazing, church? Wouldn't that be an amazing way? Instead of just moving to the next place down the road, trying to avoid them in Orchard Mall. It's costly, though, to keep relationships going. It's costly. Let's pray together.